Welcome to the Porsche Club Insider, your one stop for all things Porsche and PCA. Here's your host, Vu Gwyn, and the Insider Crew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 75th episode of Porsche Club Insider. We are at PCA headquarters. We are getting ready to head out for Works Reunion. By the time this comes out, we'll probably be getting on a plane shortly to uh, see everyone in Monterey. Got one more podcast to record before we... Uh, one more to go. So around the table, we have Manny Albin. Of course, we have uh, Robert Forsyth at the controls. And we have a very dear friend, special guest, one who confesses that he listens to a lot of podcasts, but I believe this is your very first time being on a podcast. Yep, I've never been on one before. I've listened to so many. Long commute. <laughs> so we have Casey Parkin, Porsche Silver Spring Certified Sales Manager, and longtime car nut. I think I have a photo of you and I, Casey, and I oh, believe no. this is from back in 2009. Look at those sideburns. Do you remember this? Really? I I don't remember having that hairline, <laughs> but I do. Oh, boy. That's oh, boy. Lot. You remember that waist? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Manny. I, I like knew. those glasses. That's I know, good. right? Oh, wow. <laughs> Bringing them up, man. Bringing them up. Yeah. yeah so. Wow. Is so, that Gregory in the background? It is Gregory yeah. in the background. It was a much lighter version of me. I actually had glasses, a lot more hair, but we've gone through a lot together. We've been around for a while. For sure, buddy. No, that's um, back. Uh, I started working for Porsche Silver Spring in November, October, November 2006. So I'm coming mm -hmm. up on 17 years. And uh, back then, um, that was around 2009, I did some marketing work with TPC Racing, uh, Mike Harris and Tom up in Jessup. Exactly. I still talk to all of them repeatedly, uh, and I can even talk about some of the work that they helped me with on the classic project that we're going to get into today. Very good. Yeah, I think that one, um, it was like an open house, and you brought up a, you, I think you brought up a, uh, we hadn't seen a Panamera Turbo, and and you brought one up, and it had the, the wing that kind of came up and folded out like oh, a yeah, Transformer. yeah, that's when I used to put the wings up on the back yeah. of cars. I grew out of that phase, <laughs> thankfully. All right. So before we get into um, the, uh, the the restoration program and sort of uh, what you've been up to in the, the past 17 years at Porsche Silver Spring, let's catch up and talk about what we did last week. I think week. it is worth noting that Damon is still on the podcast. He's missed the past. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like we haven't had him on a walk because I keep on wanting to update on some of the videos. But this time he's out in Chicago doing four one mile reviews. Yeah. Uh, so he'll have a lot to, to He's say filling up week. that bucket of one mile reviews. Yes, yes. He, uh, they seem like pretty exciting cars. Yeah. That, he, uh, that he's going to do. So we will see him, um, right at works. Will he be here for, uh, for next Monday's podcast? Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll see him before works. Uh, for me, it's been a lot of stuff going on since our, our last podcast. Uh, as a parent, I just got to say my, 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 I sent off my daughter. You all know that she uh, bought, um, an MDX from, from Nathan Murs, our, our, our dear friend. And that car was only supposed to initially go from, uh, Washington state to Salt Lake City. But because she had to bring her dog home this summer, we actually had to drive the MDX from Salt Lake City to Maryland. And then last Monday morning, she and her boyfriend and her doggy went back to Salt Lake City. And as of today, they are on their last leg. Um, he's, he's driven, I think, 1,400 miles so far. They are sure. in North Platte, uh, Nebraska, 
right now, which is the same location in which, <laughs> if you, you remember, where we broke down. So, uh, knock on wood, they've got uh, another 700 miles or so to go. And, um, as a parent, you know, when the, when the car was with me, I tried to go through it as much as I could. It's an 08 MDX with over 220 some thousand miles. You know, obviously I had to clean it, had to do paint correction on it, had to do the brakes, had to do um, brake flush. I changed out now, fog does, lights. Did you maintain it? Because uh, no, so this no. is the only paint correction it's going to have until, until I see it again. Uh, until I see it okay. again, and uh, change the oil. Change. Uh, I didn't bring it in, but we have. The common problem of the gasket around the oil filter housing tends to dry out and leak like crazy. So the car used to leak, but now it's it's much, much better. And even though you go through everything on a car, still, when you send your kid off to go across the country, it's a little nerve-wracking. But and There are a few cars um, more reliable than an MDX, so I yeah. think you chose the right one. Was it reliable on the way back? Huh? <laughs> And that, it wasn't the MDX's fault. It was that one not. nut. It was the one nut on the power steering. Every Honda owner said it's never the car's fault. Uh, but thank goodness she allows me to follow her with the Find My iPhone app. So every half an hour, I refresh. And she's like, Dad, you're pretty much stalking me. I'm like, of course I'm stalking you because every – You just have to hide the air tag in the glove box. <laughs> no, I find my, find my air phone is pretty accurate. Right. And she's like, I was just about to text you that I got into Nebraska. I'm like, oh, I know you're in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are a helicopter parent. I am. I am. I just want her to get there safe. Um, another big thing in the PCA family, uh, I am now uh, not the newest Porsche owner. Um, I don't have the nicest Porsche anymore. That title goes to my mom. My mom retired, and she's always wanted to. I thought you had a lot of relatives that had nicer Porsches. Than you. Oh, well, that's I'm, very I'm, subjective. Uh, uh, immediate, my immediate, uh, my immediate family. My mom recently retired, and uh, thank you to Porsche of Long Beach. Uh, they set her up originally, and Casey and I talked about this. Like she's coming from a GLC 300 Mercedes, and I said, "Mom, you really should check out a Macan or a Macan T." Uh, she went there, and she made. Um, I wouldn't say a mistake, but she did the thing where if you try one of the nicer versions, sure. you're going to fall in love with it. And she she saw the chalk Macan S. She loved the color. She loved the red brakes. Oh, and she loved the speed. So she says, how about a Macan S? I'm like, Mom, I can't talk you down to uh, a, a standard Macan or Macan T. Once you've had a taste of that, it, you're done. <laughs> so on the driveway, she now has a beautiful so chalk. you have Mac a car to drive when... That's what, to, uh, that's what I'm hoping. She always offers up her car when I when I'm in the West Coast, so maybe I'll be able to do a few uh, Orange Coast or LA region events in her Macan S. That'd be kind of cool. I like about that Macan. One thing I never liked about the Macans is that black blade they have on the side of the doors. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, the trim. Uh, this one doesn't it. have it. This one has it. Yeah, body, it has body color. Yeah, it's body like. color. Yeah. yeah. She's very happy. You can see her waving and she's got a big smile on her she face. She looks happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, but not to be undone, I also did purchase, um, a Porsche this Saturday, uh, a 911, um, a Porsche design edition. I don't know if, uh, Robert can pull it up here. There oh, it yeah. is. Nice. To add to add For to my fifty dollars <laughs> exactly, I added it oh, to the, my collection. The depth of field in that shot. I thought they were buying it for the juniors program. No, I bought it for the VU program to go with my collection because in the basement. You don't have enough. Uh, I know it's it's hoarding it, stuff. It's an addiction, but I saw the lineup and I didn't have the most, you know, a more modern version of it because when each of my kids were born, I 
bought them one. And this one just kind of will continue to be added to the collection. I know. Why are you giving me that look of disappointment? It was 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, that's the... Uh, I like the 959 in the back. Yeah. That was a good one. And turns out it was a local PCA member, Potomac Region member, Sven. Thank you very much for uh, hosting when me. When you have grandkids, are you going to... Uh, they can ride it. ride it. They can ride it. We'll see. They can ride it as long as they don't scratch it. <laughs> I had a sacrificial one that my kids uh, grew up with. That mm-hmm. one, they could they would run down the driveway and bang around. It didn't bother me at all. Yeah. The uh, the other ones that I have stayed in perfect mint condition. So see, I'll probably do the same thing. There will be ones that they can use and ones that stay you know stay mint. Um, but I did do some true car stuff, and this was to prepare and to come to. Uh, to the unveiling at Porsche Silver Spring for your special car, which was, uh, I wanted to take out my, uh, my turbo look cab, but the ET light after 40 years, the studs on my ET light broke. And so now I had a floppy ET light on the back. And uh, if you've never seen how that is assembled, uh, it's just like plastic, uh, plastic pieces with metal studs in it. And I guess from hanging there the way that it does, after time, it uh, it just cracks. So there, I'm sure you can buy a brand new one, but Vu being Vu, I want to see if I can fix it and you know make sure I make the event. Um, a tool I bought maybe a year or so ago that I hadn't had the opportunity to use, but I highly recommend you get one, is a plastic welder. I got to get one of those. Plastic welder. That thing is magic. Um, so they give you a, an assorted number of staples. You put it on to the two leads of the plastic welding gun. And when you pull that trigger, it makes the the staple light up with heat. And basically, it goes through any plastic like butter. And then when you release the trigger, it basically mends um, the plastic with the metal. And I would bet that even though my repair is ugly, thankfully, it's underneath the, the plastic housing, but it it's strong. It is solid. I put at least three staples. Do they not make the parts? Oh, they do make the parts. <laughs> I just didn't get a new one because I'm because I'm cheap and I wanted the challenge to fix How it. How much did the plastic welder cost? The plastic welder is like sixty bucks, sixty bucks, ninety bucks, something like that. Yeah, and the new piece, I gotta imagine, it's probably at least a couple hundred bucks. Um, and I will also tell you, you need baby hands to be able to unbolt. The ET light off of your your whale tail because you think you have hawk hands. Well, I I mean my big chubby fingers barely got in there. It looks good from here. Um, but yeah, from you know once it's all done and reassembled, not during that area, you can start working on the top. No, it's the original top, and just leave it. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> why, why you gotta go there? It's not the shroud of Turin. You don't have to leave it like that. It's you can, you can make it nice and pretty. They uh, look yeah. great. My dad asked me, he's like, what's one of 16 about that? There you like, go. So I had to explain it to him. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Mm, looked awesome. How about you, Manny? Uh, we did cards and coffee, and then we went from there to the Chesapeake Region uh, Concord Judging School. Oh. Which I know sounds very exciting, but uh, it was actually uh, interesting. See, it was about 20-some people, which I was surprised for, for Concord Judging, which isn't like autocrossing. It isn't exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a you know subset of people that love to keep their cars super clean, and uh, there was a, even a smaller subset that wanted to learn how to judge these cars and what to look for. And so several veterans were there, and Chesapeake's trying to change the rules a little bit where you don't touch the car. So it's okay. kind of like uh, at parade they have preservation where you can you look at the car but you don't touch it. 
there you're judging all the originality. Here you're not judging originality. You're just judging cleanliness without touching it. Mm, so they're going to have to work on efficiency as multiple judges on the yeah, car. Yeah, because any, any veteran judge will tell you that they have their go-to places. Right. Like for me, I, I split the seams mm-hmm. of the seats. And if there's no dirt, then I know this guy or gal prepared it seriously. Yeah. Uh, so I'll yeah. learn that for next week. Yeah, as, <laughs> yeah. as soon as I see dirt, I'm like, you know what? They're not going to win, but I'm not going to hammer them that hard. Sure. But I know they didn't prepare. Casey, you should have us come over and just judge your car just for fun to see what we find. It's going to Bob. Uh, oh, Bob Miller. Uh, see, it's Friday interesting because what our next, uh, they said their next session is uh, about prepping your car for Concord. Mm. And one of the things, and they're doing it at a detail shop, but they were quick to say that detailing will not win you a Concord. Absolutely not. It makes it look pretty. But a Concord, they're looking in crevices. Yeah. You know, uh, details like putting uh, makeup on, I guess. Yeah. It's great, but you got to. Well, detailing will get your car along the right path, but it's not the, it's not the end of the story. 90% of the people out there, it'll satisfy. Yeah. Uh, Like Project 964, we got it ceramic coated. Looks beautiful. I wouldn't enter it in the Concord because we didn't do anything for Concord prep. No. But just. You know, looking at it looks great. It looked great at a parade because they weren't judging. Some, it sometimes judges are looking for some of the craziest stuff. Like I remember when I first started conquering my turbo look, you know, they were looking inside the seat rails. They were looking under the dash. They were looking for lint in the glove box. Well, like the like boxster, you know, the boxster, crazy. if you take the top down mm-hmm. enough, it forms wear marks, especially when it's down and it's, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and the right, creases, it's yeah. rubbing. Yeah. It's just has wear marks. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, they ask, how do you do that? Do you, do you, do you say, well, he's using it so we shouldn't take parts. And, you know, the consensus was this is a concourse. So if the you're serious example. about yeah. winning, then basically you don't take your top down mm-hmm. or you replace the top. And I use my 914 as an example. I said, this is original paint. I know the car is not going to win at a Concord, traditional Concord, but I'm not going to repaint this car just to win a trophy. It's right, going to stay right. original paint with the chips, right. and I'll live with a third place in the traditional Concord. And that's why, like, Bob Gutierrez and his Speedster never takes the top down because he doesn't ever want it to crease. He doesn't ever want I it to wear. I think I took the top down more on that car than he did. <laughs> Without him knowing. <laughs> <laughs> you cost him a trophy. <laughs> well, he left the manual in the seat, so. <laughs> All right, uh. So uh, Gregory and I, we ended up, uh, thank you for the invite, Casey, and a lot of PCA and uh, Chesapeake and Potomac region members came up. And, of course, your customers, there was a good collection of cars uh, right as we pulled up. Um, I loved that GT4, and I think it was Eratium Green? There was a Spider. Oh, Spider, the yep. Spider, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I built that car. One, I do one paint-to-sample special car per year. Um, my first one I did was, I think it was in 2016, I did an Arena Red 911 Turbo S Coupe mm. um, because I was a kills bugs fast guy. Sure. That was my era. I was 14 years old when that came out. Had to, Still have the poster at home. And then uh, I did subsequently other cars through the, throughout my uh, history of ne- not necessarily cars that customers had picked out, um, colors that customers had picked out because I've done a, a number of you know greens and such, but mm. I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I did a... Uh, Brewster Green Targa GTS that a great customer of mine now owns. I did a Mir Blau, um, paying homage to Jeff Swart because mm-hmm. I love his taste in that color. And we had a, it was an old 2003 Cayenne color. Um, I did a Mir Blau GT4 and then I did the uh, Aratium Green Spider for yeah, stock. That was a um, gorgeous car. And it's just a, it, that car with silver wheels just What do you think? So what percentage of customers 
order uh, color, not not like a gray or black or red. I mean, even red. Let's say, let's say red's included as a color. What what percentage, roughly? So so I build, I would say ninety five percent of the cars for our dealership, um, and Porsche. A couple of years ago, actually about a year ago, they did away with dark blue. Hmm. So you can't, uh, you, you can get it in a Cayenne, um, Algarve, I think is the shade, mm-hmm. but all of the other cars, dark blue doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So the, the transitions that they're making, I think make it a little bit more difficult for customers. I actually have a paint to sample Panamera Turbo S E hybrid sport Turismo in dark blue metallic coming in it's got to be one of the most expensive ones ever built it's like dark a, blue metallic as a paint a sample color absolutely like yeah. and that used to be that's an used to be a color? normal color normal and color. we've we've actually had a lot of demand for that and yeah. i've expressed my uh you know sentiments with the the factory but you know they have to do all kinds of planning in advance and yeah. they see trends and so, sorts of things happening so i can't really fault them for the decisions that they make but a dark blue is great and i'm happy they brought it back on the 24 cayenne but to answer your your question i would say Maybe about thirty percent of the cars that are sold are actual colors, not out of the traditional German color palette. Yeah, I mean, at least that we experience. I know we all love the colors, and people love, well, especially it's coming back now. Colors. Those sorts of but things. But then I wonder when it comes to signing on a dotted line. Sure, how many people say and, I can live and, with uh, and that certain color? And that's not just Porsche. I mean, when we were in Germany and even in on U.S. roads, if you just come to a stoplight and just look around you, cars are gray, silver, black. Maybe white. I mean, it's a very like monotone palette. And I have two Grand Prix white Porsches, so I'm not the guy to talk about it. Well, that's the winning color. So. White is the lightest they, and fastest Porsche right. color. It's all factory race cars come on. 100%. Now, now, you also had a very unique color uh, GT3 in the delivery room. Uh, mint. Yeah. Mint, right? Mm-hmm. So, mint green. Mint, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, it was a showstopper. That's, and we had a, I'm not sure if the touring was there or not, but we had a oh the touring was there sold, on the corner. Yeah, yeah, Jet Green. Yeah, one of my clients, John, did a really bespoke uh, Boxster GTS, one of the 2.5 liter cars, and Jet and uh, my another client of ours saw it and said they wanted that, so we did a uh, Jet Green with uh, wheels and CXX BBS Pearl Gold, which I didn't even know was possible, but Kane Boxter yeah. and. Uh, my colleagues at Porsche Exclusive were happy to help us out with that. The car turned out great. So CXX is similar to a market price at a restaurant menu. Uh, or you they, don't they, want to know the price if, if you want it. They have they uh, basically it's anything from the way that I interpret it, is anything that slows down the process of building a car costs more money. Um, and if you, I'm sure that both of you have been on the floor in Stuttgart. My wife and I were there a few months ago. Um, but it's a remarkably streamlined process and they can only build so many cars out of Stuttgart in a day. So anything that slows down that process really hinders their ability to, to produce vehicles. So, and most of those things do take place at special wishes, which is they build a car. I apologize. They build a car and then the car goes to another department, uh, And that's when those, those big of the CXX changes. That looks like a little shop. I mean, it's I don't really, think there's lifts. Not, li- there. not little thing. shop. It's it's a big shop it, now. It's made, they've yeah. increased capacity yeah, significantly. It's a huge shop now. But I mean, it's not nothing. It's not a not. There's no line. I mean, there wasn't a factory line when I went. It was just oh bays. no, it's it, yeah, bays, it's bays yeah, for sure. Bays with a uh, cart with parts, and yeah. I think it was one person per car. Yeah, uh, putting the parts in. The craftsmanship's amazing, though. It's, yeah, uh, it's always great. It's a tremendous. If you folks or listeners have the opportunity to visit the. Uh, 
the museum and or the factory in Stuttgart. It's an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah, and 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 Boris mentioned uh, a bit of this when he was on the podcast a, a few months ago. Is you know when efficiencies change, and that's when it be as 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 you said. It's not part of the line and they have to take the car off and put it into Sunderwunsch into that special community of uh, mechanics and installers and stuff like that. You know, it, it changes the efficiency pattern. And, you know, I saw the like the heritage package GT3 RS literally just one gentleman putting on the decal under the wing. We started our meeting, I think, at like eight and we took a break at around eleven. I think he was only two thirds of the way of putting that lettering on the wing. I mean, he was taking his time to make it perfect. And that was just one little task of the day. And so when you're talking about all these options, it's not just, you know, the cost of the vinyl. It's, it's the cost of testing the vinyl, producing when the I vinyl. There, there was no robots. No. On the line, there was a lot of robots yeah. to help out. Yeah. Uh, but here it was all handcrafted. It yeah, was, for uh, sure. It's it was, a, it's like I said, amazing. one guy or one gal with the tool, and uh, they were putting this mm-hmm. special CXX stuff on, yep. on the car. It was, uh, and in some cases, let's say you have a very special um, door panel or dash option. Sometimes that stuff has to be put on on the line with the original. And then once and then, it comes to Sunderwunsch, they actually have to take it off <laughs> and switch how, it out. That's how steering wheels work. Yeah. Yeah, they'll put a steering wheel on just, the car and yeah. then they'll take it off at wheel. the end of yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah. How many customers do you get very often? So you have the PTS, which is a hundred and I can't remember now, 140 maybe colors, something every like that. Year. Yeah. Um, now that we know, we have a swatch about two inches thick uh, that has all the colors. And then you have the PTS where you give them the color you want the car painted. Yeah. And that's what a two-year process to uh, yeah PTS plus. Um, so I had a customer um, only from this prior to PTS plus. Um, I had a customer, the same guy with the jet green Boxster. Uh, he was the first guy, at least in the modern era, to get Porsche to accept Nagaro blue, uh, mm. which is an Audi color from the early two thousands. Uh, I guess you could maybe say it was on the RS two, but it was yeah. called Nagaro blue in two thousand when the B five RS four came out. It's his favorite color. So he worked even previous to me working with him with at that point a lady named Melissa Vidic mm-hmm. at Porsche, Melissa, yeah. and she they got the color approved, but it took twelve months, fourteen months to get it approved. But PTS Plus is an interesting program because you're able to get a color that's to your spec. Like I'm colors in the past that stick out. They've changed names, but like they did a Pantone a couple of years ago. I have to believe that was one of them because Porsche wouldn't call it color yeah. a Pantone shade, but. In doing that, you also, somebody will certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you get right of, you get, you're the only person that gets that color for a defined amount of time, be it a year, 18 months, something like that. And then Porsche adds that color to the um, paint to sample spectrum. Yeah, when they did Club Blau, they told mm-hmm. us that that generation of car, no one would have it except the Club Coupes. But then it's a great color, the blue. 991.2s, it became available. Right. And yep. So we saw some other, which was pretty cool seeing like a speedster in Club Lau. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, they had to recoup the money that uh, at the time they didn't realize it was going to become a PTS Plus color. They thought it would be, uh, well, actually, they made it more um, involved because they said in PTS, um, they don't, the Club Coupe, they realized that there's going to be a bunch of these cars that shows parked next to each other. So the paint had to match on each car where 100%. PTS, the odds are, 
it's going to be the only car mm-hmm. or the PTS plus. So uh, I guess someone high up said you got to run this like a regular color, which right. meant uh, testing and cold weather testing. Yeah, that's a heat, big deal, yeah, and that's why it, there's yeah. a, a big uh, cost associated mm-hmm. yeah. with that extra program for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's not the raw materials of making the color. It's all the testing and engineering behind it because, you know, not everything is painted on the line. Like the, a bumper set will, you know, be painted at one factory or that the supplier and it actually is brought together with the car for sure you know and so there's many components that are like that so figuring out the color is one having the raw materials is one but getting all these other suppliers that may be spraying that color and getting it all to match and then having it come together that's why you're paying i can't imagine so you're ordering pts plus it's going to take well over a year and then that model you want to put it on may not be you know, you're 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 crossing generations of yeah. a model. It's you know, possible if you're at the tail yeah. end of a of a particular yeah, well, model. Some Casey that now uh, because of uh, supply chain issues and the way the market is, um, you know, uh, the member services. Yeah, uh, you can join PCA. You have an order for a portion. Yeah, and uh, yeah, all you got to do is uh, show us the order that you have with the dealer. Uh, but now. They can't tell us of what year car it's going to be because the dealer doesn't know. Yeah, and they'll say, "I think we're up to twenty five. Uh, it may be a twenty twenty five model by the time um, it gets built. Mm-hmm. So, and we're not even sure what it's going to be called. I think when the GT four RS was coming out, people had orders for it, but they weren't sure what exactly what it was going to be called. Sure. they thought it was going to be an RS, but Porsche had confirmed it. So, it was so a- there is things dealers can do, uh, which we're instructed to, and it makes good sense because Porsche helps out as well. But there's something called an order demand. So when when you have somebody that expresses interest in a vehicle uh, and you're able to technically build a car in the system, a dealership is able to put in what is called an order demand where you build a car or it doesn't even need to honestly have the option content for the client, but it has their name attached to it. Mm-hmm. And then Porsche also does things like they will then market to these people. They'll send them, hey, thank you. We understand your interest. We're doing our best to fulfill your order within a timely fashion. And that's something that they've changed uh, since um, pandemic times because of the amount of backup mm-hmm. as far as two-door vehicles are concerned, as we discussed earlier. Um, a lot of two-door cars, they have issues producing specifically because of parts, specifically because it's only um, two shifts per day because Stuttgart is a town. It's not necessarily an industrial area where Leipzig is. So they're, uh, they can only produce so many cars mm-hmm. um, per day for the entire world. And when uh, demand increases um, for those things, uh, time gets added to the actual time where a client could physically take delivery of a car. And so, they have a whole different line for the Taycan because I read in one of the yeah. comments. And it's amazing. They said they're building more Taycans. They're forcing yeah. Taycan has a whole different line. Whole different That's line. where it, uh, it's the monsters are built. So that was a big focus of my last trip to uh, Germany. We were actually going at lunchtime roughly, and we did Taycan first. Mm-hmm. And it was so amazing to see. They actually have the cars um, on these some sort of uh, pivoting uh uh, some sort of pivoting thing. It looks like kind of a halo around the car where they're able to twist the vehicle to, if I'm not mistaken, like 80 degrees so they can access the underneath of the car just by, they just twist it as it goes down the line. It's such a cool thing to see. I'm a big process guy, oh, yeah. um, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but seeing the way that those cars are assembled was pretty exceptional. It's almost like you're, you're like in the Star Wars factory with all the automated robots and the platforms that move around. It's super and, cool. Yeah, they, yeah. And I'm pretty sure they can't say, well, let's stop making Taycans this week and we'll make more 911s. No. It's a whole different whole line. Different line. So it's yeah. not- well, the, the thing with 
the Tycon line, and I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, but it's able to be stopped and paused and things are able to be caught up. The the 9-11 and Tudor line is not like that. Um, my my wife has a better memory of these things than I do, but because I was so blown away when they were giving us these 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 run throughs, but the the Tycon line can be interrupted. Yeah. The sports car line cannot. So yeah, the sports able... car line is hung from up top, yep. whereas the Tycon line actually has independent beds that they can pull in and out and of the it, line. It is such a cool experience. Yeah. I'm sure that if you go on YouTube, you can see how those cars are produced. I certainly know that you can for two-door cars. I, I can only imagine when they built Leipzig how happy they were because they have so much more room and bringing the trucks in it was just in time where uh, and Stuttgart or Zuffenhausen where they built the cars – and that's the same factory they were building from the 50s yeah. that they've expanded and they've had to make things work. And that's why if you've ever been there, you've seen that bridge where the bodies come yeah. over. They're just making this thing fit in the little space they have to uh, to make it work, which is pretty incredible that they haven't torn down the factory and just said, uh, let's redo this. And, and then they're limited by uh, the zoning and the law, like you said, yeah, because, the residential. Yeah. And I found out like, when they were building the Tycon factory, they had to go underground. They said, I think they could only do three stories, and then anything taller would block the amount of wind flow to downtown Stuttgart. So they had to go underground to be able to stay within the uh, the zoning. It was. Uh, it's amazing how committed they are to have so much in that area of Stuttgart because they really have just they have no more space. Um, one of the one of the bad things that I've heard, so to speak, is you remember the Reuter building? Mm, yeah, I heard. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So, hopefully, um, I'll get a chance to get maybe one of the bricks because... Two. Uh, you, yeah, two bricks. Okay, three <laughs> bricks. Three bricks for here. But, you know, that, that iconic building and uh, because the, the, the square footage that it, it takes up, they got, you know, and that's only a one-story building and, and nothing underneath and they're going to have to get rid of that to make something that is more efficient and more capable. No, when I was there, we, we actually had the discussion and I know a lot of that is covered by, you know, historical building law in Germany. So there's a lot of debate as to what's going to happen to that building. Yeah. But it certainly is iconic. It's used in all of the, even the factory photos that we have at our dealership. It's there. And you've watched shows on, on discovery channel where they like go down under the foundation and then just pick it up and move it. Like that's what I would do. Like I would, (laughs) I would never tear it down. You have to get it past all those other buildings. Exactly. Like I somehow figure out to pick it up and the Germans could figure it out. And move it, move it into some field, and make it into yeah, but a, like it's, it's. It's not like that. I mean, that factory is just, yeah. like you said, so overbooked yeah. with demand, and uh, it's. Um, if, if they could be like Tesla and st- and, and build a, a third line on the parking lot mm. and, and tents, I'm sure they would. Yeah, to fulfill demand, but they can't. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's still big demand. Well, let's switch it up and uh, talk about the Porsche Classic Restoration Challenge. Um, Manny and I and a lot of us here on staff, we've had the opportunity to work with Porsche Classic on a number of projects. We've you know, sort of seen, I remember at Sport 3 when we first talked about what we could do together with Porsche Classic and sort of build their brand, you know, within PCA, within the Porsche community. And I remember they had a small little booth that runs for three and they had a front clip of a, a 356, which then led to the restoration of the 73T, which we raffled off in 2011. You know, we've done, uh, we've done the, uh, the recently the uh, classic club coupe with them. And it's just great to see how much emphasis there is on 
classic Porsches and their portfolio, and correct me if I'm wrong, is when the from the last production date of a model, so let's say a 996, the last production date of a 996 was nine, uh, was 2004, right? Five. 2005. Yeah. So 10 years after that, which would be 2015, the 996 entered into the classic department, which means they take care of continuing to produce and or you know, look at producing additional parts to keep those cars on the roads. Cause as all of us have heard the quote before that over 70% of the Porsches ever built are still on the road is because Porsche still supports them. And now that now or in the last decade or so, the growth with Porsche Classic enables us to have all of these great older cars. And then in the last three years, they come up with this challenge for Porsche dealers to participate in. So I'll let you take it from there. So the first year, um, a good client of mine had a slant nose. Um, I didn't really do a whole lot of diligence in the program, but we were urged to do something. So on our uh, Instagram page, which is Porsche Silver Spring, I just, you know, we kind of phoned it in. Um, we did some basic servicing on the car because, you know, slant noses are rare. Not everybody sees them. So it's, and he just bought the car and it didn't come with a lot of history. So it was important for us to do a proper baseline. That's as, option as code 505. 505. Yep. 505 so, yeah. Before I think before 87, it was special wishes. Once 86, 87 hit, it became 505. Uh, so it's a cool car. Not many people see them. It was a really interesting vehicle that Porsche pulled off the line, moved over to Works One, and then they literally took the front fenders off the car and put the 935 type bodywork on the car to make it more interesting. Um, so we didn't really do much with that. There were um, a lot of people took it seriously. Uh, there was a big competition that we moved people moved towards, but. Honestly, it wasn't a focus for us. Uh, last year in 2022, um, a guy approached me, uh, actually in roughly, probably around when we met, 2008, 2009. And um, that wasn't last year, of course. But he said, I said to him, he had a 968. And I said, if you ever decide to sell that car, you know, please talk to us. Um, so January of 2022, uh, we were actually looking to do a 914 uh, and the it kind of fell through. And at the last minute, this guy showed up, my colleague at work, Adrian said, guy said, you talked to him, you know, 14 years ago about selling you his 968. And I said, I kind of remember, don't really though. So it kind of makes sense. So anyway, it, um, guy, uh, I got in touch with him. It was this guy named Dave, really great, uh, PCA member, uh, local guy. And he sold us his car, um, 150, 657,000 mile, three owner car. I actually was able to find the original owner. She was based out of Florida at the time. I think she lives in Texas now, but super honest, uh, you know, three inch thick binder of service records, which I love cataloging and going through all that stuff. But we basically did, a, we left it kind of stock. Uh, we did a little bit to it. The paint on the car was all original other than the hood and the driver's side fender. Um, we repainted the plastic parts because they were yellowing as mm -hmm. old 90s plastic parts from Porsche do sometimes, especially when the car is Grand Prix white. Um, went through the engine, did a top end, uh, resealed it, uh, all the belts, water pump, those sorts of things. Uh, upgraded to 17-inch cup wheels and then um, converted the brakes to GT, uh, 928 GTS parts. Uh, and then the rear end we did. 968 MO30, which is the club sport option. And then we also did uh, MO30 sway bars and those sorts of things. Um, basically, we 
tried to make the car somewhat period correct to um, what I believed would have been what you could have done in 1994 with the car um, with parts that were available off the shelf through Porsche Classic. Um, I think other than maybe, golly, maybe other than one or two small parts, absolutely everything was available, um, be it in uh, storage facilities in the United States or in Germany, which we were able to get. And then uh, we did really well. Uh, took the car to checked it out in Chicago. Um, uh, Vu here allowed me to borrow a um, <laughs> his blue uh, uh, Porsche bike, which was a little newer than 1994, which was our car, but definitely period correct. And I stuck it on the top of it, and it got a lot of cool press. Uh, there are a lot of people at Porsche like trans- transaxle cars. There was only one other transaxle. That's the one we saw at uh, Sports Car Together. Yep, it yep. was. Okay. Yeah. So so we did really well at um, checked it out. Uh, we won our region placed third overall and so the top three cars got to go to uh, sports car together fest where um i the video that will probably be posted with this i went into depth in that but i talked to some folks at uh, pcna about the underrepresentation of transaxle cars and uh, my buddy that doesn't work for porsche anymore works for broad air ray schaefer and i and a guy named ranzi potts that also works at broad air he and i t- they talked we talked for a while about um my love for turbo cup um, my first Porsche ex- driving experience at a race car track was at Beaver Run, and I rode uh, passenger in a 944. My first car, my first Porsche was an 89 2.7 liter. Loved the car. I've always loved box fenders. You know, that Radwood era vehicle mm-hmm. to me is just where it's at. Um, so we just, I decided at that point that I was going to try to do something with a 944 Turbo which, if you don't know, is a remarkably complicated car. It is so much more complicated than a 968. If you open the engine bay of a Porsche 968 compared to a 944, it's like one-tenth of the parts. So many vacuum lines and such. But we did some research. I found a car that um, was reminiscent of the way that the Rothmans Turbo Cup cars originally built. Um, Things like uh, the varnish deletion underneath the car, lightweight stuff, sports seats. Um, I didn't want white, red, or black. Uh, I wanted limited slip differential from the factory. I found a car. Um, I had paid for PPI inspection. I had some family life things going on, so I couldn't fly up to Maine to see it. But we ended up fetching the car, and it uh, got to us in way worse shape than expected, um, as they often do. So I would probably urge you, if you're not buying a certified pre-owned car from a Porsche dealership, uh, travel. spend the time to go check the car out. Um, would I probably have still stuck with this car? Probably because there weren't many others on the market. Mm-hmm. We wanted an 86. Uh, cars were way, way simpler. No airbags, no ABS system. So a uh, big thing with the champion or with the uh, challenge is you can't delete safety equipment. Mm. So um, I wanted, I've got had this 996 uh, Cup, uh, 996 Cup car Momo uh, steering wheel sitting on my desk for a zillion years. And I always wanted to use it in our projects. We couldn't use it last year because car and airbag couldn't delete the airbag. Mm-hmm. So um, so we we were able to really put a spin on it this year where um, I spent a whole lot of time uh, doing research as to the direction we wanted to take. I, I spent time, I went to the Porsche factory, as we just talked about. Um, I went to visit my friends, uh, Colin and Tom, down at Dasport in Charlottesville. Nobody knows, uh, at least that I'm aware of, nobody knows more about uh, Rothman's Turbo Cup cars than they do. And um, I also was able to find uh, the 962 that won Le Mans in 1986. 
And um, because I, with our previous project, I did some marketing where we made a sticker and raised a bunch of money for animal rescues. Uh, in the 1994, the winner was a Dower 962 with the fat turbo livery. Mm -hmm. um, and this year it was the Rothman's car. So everything fit together well. I got to spend time with uh, the current owner of the car, um, Malcolm Ross. He and his father own it in their uh the shop out there is called Driving Machines outside of Columbus, Ohio, and was able to spend time while the car digging in that 80s era of Group C racing is absolutely my favorite. So, you know, getting back to our car, uh, as you saw on the screen there, we spent a whole lot of time upgrading the car, utilizing factory parts. Uh, the engine had bore scoring, so Porsche Classic still makes those 2.5 liter, 100 millimeter uh, crankcases. So pulled the engine apart, uh, whole bunch of local machine shops that did an awesome job. Please do support your local machine shops because they are going away. Spent a lot of time with them, uh, making sure that everything was balanced and blueprinted. We spun everything. We had the turbocharger rebuilt, replaced all the reservoirs underneath the, uh, underneath the hood. You know, we did some turbo cup things like, um, the folks at Dosport were able to provide us with a roll bar that they kind of, uh, modeled after the factory matter bar that came in the car. As you can see there, we um, spent some time with the suspension. It's all factory Bill Stein stuff with factory turbo cup part number springs and perches. Um, and then just a whole lot of uh, vetting the parts, painted the wheels white, um, painted the intake manifold beige to make sure it looked like the original car when you pop the hood open, which were magnesium parts. And uh, we're just, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the car's being aligned today. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow uh, is uh, the last official day for the project. And we are going to be uh, sending the car to Chicago uh, for judging in the individualization category. That's a new thing for this year. Last year, they had um, only one category. This year, they split into three, preservation, restoration, and individualization. Even though our car really pays homage to what the original cars were, um, it's not what it was. So right. it fits in the individualization category. But we did a full glass out respray of the car. Um, we did a, took some liberties with livery. It is based on the number 89 DICOM car, which currently resides in California. And we had a, a shop uh, that's local to us, AAPP in Rockville, did a smashing job uh, putting the livery together. And it, the livery is done as it was done in the 80s. It's not a print that somebody sticks on the side of the car. It's done with individual pieces of vinyl because I'm a real stickler for originality. And even if the lines aren't exactly straight, being that it was done as it was in 1988 is the most important thing to me. Back then they didn't have wraps. They didn't, yeah. man. No, they didn't. And like, if you look at it, there are some, there are some lines that aren't perfect. And when I talked to Brett and Tiffany at AAPP, I said to them, I said, I don't want this to be perfect because I want it to look like it would have Period, right before the car was about to hit Montreblanc mm -hmm. in, in 1988. So the Turbo Cup series, well, that was a Canadian only series, wasn't it? Well, no. So Turbo Cup was worldwide. Um, so they did it in France. Uh, they did it in Africa, South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. They did it in Germany. They had, uh, they produced 11 cars, nine or 11 cars. Uh, for the United States in 1987, but 88 was really the pinnacle of it when uh, the guy named David Deacon um, uh, said it in the video, but they basically, VW Canada, um, which is the Porsche importer, uh, hired him as a marketing guy to, to get sales going. So he created a one-make series based on the cheapest Porsche, which was a 944 and 87. And then in 1988, um, Porsche wanted to add some noise to the car. 
So they uh, they built the Turbo Cup, which used a whole lot of magnesium parts and those sorts of things. And really, um, it, I mean, it's to me along with Group C Racing is you know it, Porsche um, in Canada made the cars very uh, very low cost. I think they sold them at cost to the uh, groups that were racing them. And then in doing that, they were able to win prize money. They were able to show off cars on television. Every dealership in Canada had to sponsor one of the cars. So it got the dealership involved in well, as well. And uh, honestly, it's the beginning of Porsche Cup racing. Following the 1989 or 90 season, Porsche Trans uh, went to your car, the Carrera Cup. Um, so 964s. And then the the nine the nine forty fours kind of kind of went away. And even though, you know, that happened, um, there's still a huge amount of passion for these nine forty four cars. Um, the one that we showed in the video, and the one that I spent, we did a, a series of five videos with the folks down at Dosport, and we went over specifics about what makes Turbo Cup cars special. That car just sold at auction for almost two hundred thousand dollars, wow. and you you were down there at yep. the, uh, the yep. Porsche sale. It was a, it's an amazing car. That is actually not that much for a factory. It's the race it's literally car. It sounds like a lot, yeah. but to get a factory built race car, and that's it's it's pretty good to money. My, to my knowledge, they were the only nine forty fours built at Visoc. Yeah, yeah, and it was it, they're they're really rad cars. Um, I have driven like six of them now, I think. And um, they are absolutely awesome. And if I had the space, the money, and the time, I would absolutely have one in a collection at some point. But they are such cool cars. And the car that we did is, my goal with this is to show that we're able to, you know, celebrate Porsche Classic. But being that the transaxle car is so underrepresented, I really wanted to do another transaxle car this year. And we're the only transaxle car in the entire competition this year. Last year, there were two of us. My buddy Chad at Auto House Lancaster also did a 968 and 94, just like ours. But this year, we're the only one. And I, it's a way harder car to work on than, than a lot of the other cars that, um, that are represented. And we were down for the task. Uh, the team at work did an awesome job. Every single technician in our shop worked on it. Um, the body shop did an awesome job. Uh, had mangled up front fenders. Somebody missed a jack point at one mm -hmm. at one point, so we replaced the front fenders with Porsche Classic, and we just thoroughly went through the car. And other than a few small odds and ends, literally everything was available in that Classic catalog. Mm. We were able to get it from Germany or from somewhere in the United States. They were in some dealerships that had uh, like um, seal kits. Uh, I know we got uh, our friends over at Porsche Annapolis provided us with uh they had engine mounts in stock so hmm. we were able to select those and if i'm not mistaken we got a one of the upper end reseal kits we got from champion porsche so they had it in stock so dealerships are doing these things they do support these cars and it's important because these these cars are oh boy you can see the the cylinder bore scoring there when that's the new case as it came from from germany which was pretty awesome so it's really a apparent evident the support that you have from the dealership oh, yeah, to, no, to I, do all of this. Um, not only was the project car, um, you know, absolutely stunning, but the fact that you had six other real turbo cups present yeah. for that. How many of those are even around these days? I mean, one of them was actually raised, right? Uh, one of them was. So, yeah. so, so two of the cars there were owned by Bob Miller, who owns at speed, um, up here, actually just not far from yeah. where we're sitting right now. And then, Four of them were from uh, Dosport. Uh, mm. Two of them were client vehicles and two of them were personally owned. 
the interesting story about Ray's car, Hornbostel, uh, which what it says on the back is I was that first time I drove on the racetrack um, or I rode on the racetrack at Beaver Run back in almost 20 years to the day. It was June of 20, 2003. Um, I remember taking a picture of myself next to a cobalt blue uh, nine it was a 996 GT3. But I also had in that same stack of photos a picture of this red 944 that said Rothman's on the side of it. And I always knew that I had that. And uh, about a month or so ago, I, I was digging through my pictures and I found that picture. I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is yeah. Ray's car 20 years ago. So I sent it to him and he was pr- pretty happy to see that. But, yeah, it was it's a great. Ex- when I was club racing between 98 and uh, 2010, it was very common to see Turbo Cup cars, 964 factory cup cars, yeah. 993 factory cup cars. They were not, um, at the time, anything rare. They weren't valuable they like weren't. they are now. So people didn't think twice. They were like, heck, I'll get a factory prep race car and race that. And they were doing, you've been to club racing, you yeah. know, that everyone's uh, risking their cars to win a $10 trophy. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, God bless them. It makes for fun racing. But, yeah, you, you didn't realize that these cars are going to become so valuable at some point. And now uh, you rarely see it because they be- become so, these cars have become so valuable. But at the time, you didn't think twice about seeing a uh, factory Rothmans or even like the Firehawk series cars. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was um, pretty common. Now, you're obviously very passionate about this project and um, even the 968 project before that. But what does it mean to the dealership? Because you're you're not a classic center, I don't believe. So when we, we recently moved into a new facility in January of this year, and we have the infrastructure in place for a dedicated classic area, oh, which is one of the requirements okay. to become classic. Okay. But the real kicker with classic is uh, technician training. Mm. Um, so while um, our techs are trained on everything new, the Porsche classic training takes place on the West Coast, if I'm not mistaken. And it's very intensive, uh, very intensive. If I'm not mistaken, there's a couple of handfuls of dealers in the mm-hmm. United States. Yeah, I know um, my buddy Steve runs Gowden and then uh, the guys out at South Bay that I've worked with before. And I think the closest one to the mid-Atlantic is Paul Miller. Yeah, New Jersey. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but um, but it's something we're striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that we do it as a dealership is kind of threefold. It's a great source of revenue for the parts department to showcase that we are able to gather these parts for um, for uh, for these vehicles, be it you know 997s, 996s, uh, E1 Cayenne, uh, the whole way up through you know the whole way back to you know 356s. Um, for the service department, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for the guys um, and uh, the ladies to work together to come to a really great um, uh, to come to a really great uh, you know, team kind of get together with put working on a project. It gives them a sense of uh, a sense of happiness. You know, you, you get to work on a Taycan, you get to work on a GT3, and then you also get to work on this awesome old uh, project car. And when you see a finished project, it really gives people a sense of you know, sense of joy, sense of accomplishment. Accomplishment, for sure. They it's, were very proud on Saturday yeah, to be a part of it all. For sure. And the, the sales department, um, it's uh, basically, if depending upon the level of success that you uh, get with the vehicle, you can earn extra allocation um, of sports cars from the manufacturer. Uh, and that in turn, um, we then the way that Porsche um, Allocation works is if you earn two cars through a competition, let's say you own two 911s with based on share of nation and how allocation works for a Porsche dealership, you then in turn get two 911s 
every year moving forward as long as Porsche still makes the same amount of cars. Well, that's a pretty good carrot. <laughs> it is. So, so, yeah. f- so even though literally, I mean, other than the, the marketing and the passion that I uh, have for the project, you know, our our service and parts department really absolutely knocked it out of the park. And our um, our body shop did a tremendous job with the paintwork as well. You don't have to be a classic center to get parts from. Absolutely any dealer can. I know we've ordered parts for Project 964 from dealers that were not – Mm-hmm. classic center but they saw the same access absolutely as a classic center would be to these parts so being that we're not a classic center i can't really speak to all aspects of it but a big part of it is to be able to provide a classic certificate for a car mm-hmm. so more than just getting a what used to be called a certificate of origin or certificate of authenticity now is a product product specification sheet or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like two levels, I think. Yep. Right. Yeah, so now there is a, if you go to a Porsche Classic dealership, you are able to have them thoroughly go through the vehicle, almost like a certified pre-owned inspection, to verify its originality and its uh, its uh, to see what it warrants as far as um, the, the originality and the correctness of the vehicle, which is huge. You see, I mean, I was looking through an old road and track or something where I saw a you know, a Carrera lightweight, you know, a 73 advertised for 59 grand, you know, back oh. in like 1997, 1998, you know, that's a $2 million car now. Um, and being able to have the the factory back that as far as verification and validation, you know, that's a huge win. Um, and it's certainly something that makes sense to go to somebody that's factory trained to make sure that they're able to validate that information. So you were talking a little bit about allocations, and I knew today we wouldn't have enough time, and we'll have to have you come back to debunk all the myths and oh, how, how how all that stuff works. Um, but let's let's move into just a little bit of the housekeeping. Uh, I know Robert will want me just to mention if you're not signed up for eBreak News uh, and all the other uh, PCA newsletters, head over to PCA.org. Sign up for eBreak News, Mark Fresh News, as well as Performance News. We dropped a few videos since our um, Last time together, we dropped the uh, the spring uh, member-only raffle uh, winner video. Thank you to the Allegheny region who worked together with Bogdan to surprise the gentleman at a DE. And, and that was a perfect example of someone who did not look surprised. Yeah. <laughs> and he was stunned. He was stunned. You could see his happiness when they gave him a second interview. Right. But initially, he's and the and Allegheny region did a great job. Of, uh, they basically, uh, put the winner's uh, face on a cookie and then handed over, handed everyone who had bought tickets that they were at a driver's ed event and like doing a, a barbecue at the end or yeah. like, on a Saturday night. And they handed everyone who bought a ticket a bag with the cookie. And that, and when they told them, all right, everyone opened the t- cookie up to see who the winner is. Yeah. The, and the his, guy who won was still clever. struggling. He was still struggling trying to get the key, <laughs> the cookie open, the, uh, cookie open. And then he saw, uh, Everyone started congratulating him, and then he opened up and saw his face. Yeah, he looks pretty happy. Yeah, to me. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that was very yeah, well done. Very they, cool. They very were, well but done. But he was, you could he was see stunned. how stunned he was. Yeah, and his last name is W I M E R, and for the cookie, they did it W I N N E R. I was going to ask if his last yeah. name was Winner. I was yeah, like, yeah. That's, that makes sense. <laughs> very cute. They did a fantastic job. Uh, we also put up on there um, when I was in one of our trips over in Germany, we visited Liquid Molly, and they took us kind of behind the scenes of the different products that they make for air-cooled as well as water-cooled cars. And then when we went to 
I call it the bottling or canning <laughs> facility. It come and I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but it reminded me of sort of the the Laverne and Shirley introduction, where all the cans and bottles are going through and they're getting filled and capped. Very and cool. it's, it's a pretty pretty. It's cool. bugged down with Laverne and Shirley. He has is. no idea. I, I bet you ninety <laughs> percent of the folks that are in this office have no idea what Laverne and Shirley is. Uh, quickly, let's uh, talk a little bit about the news. And this is kind of cool. I know so many of us love like touring cars or wagons. And this one is a 911 Dakar version, a sport turismo. Well, it's not the factory. Right, right. But I'm saying this is like an imagined version, right? This um, reminds me of the uh, what was it? Singer, remember Singer did the off road, and then Porsche the one that told they, them the one that they didn't do. Yes, <laughs> Porsche on the side of it. Yeah, the last Porsche year for like told two them. Days. Uh, yeah, no, that's yeah. going too far. I buy that yeah. in a heartbeat. That's yeah, so that's, cool. Uh, yep, that looks really very cool. very aggressive. I mean, that's perfect to go to the grocery that, that's store. That's the move right there. <laughs> that's oh, you love that one. That's the one I would like to see. But that was that was a real car. That was a DP, was it? DP Motorsport. Station wagon, 924. That that would have been a cool car. Yeah, I mean, a 924 or 944 is very functional. The hatch, that would have taken it to a different level. Yeah, so put I your think, bike in the back so of the, it. I think in the video when we were at um, Technoclassica, Nathan Murs, we had a little little spot of that car at the DP Motorsport mm. booth. And that car was done so well. Uh, same thing with this 920, I think, in a video I took a, a few weeks ago at the... Um, the museum I have, I have. Some. Yeah, that was at the Panamera launch we went to a bunch yeah. of years ago. Very yeah. cool car. I yeah. think that was the uh, see. We could have made this, so don't uh, say the Panamera is ugly. I've never I said th- the Panamera is ugly. I would own that. Well, oh, would you? Nine twenty eights are uh, are are an interesting car, but I would I would own that. Uh, I would I'm rock not, it. I'm not in love with that one. You're not. In love that with was that almost one. like the four door nine eleven back in sixty eight. That yeah, Trout, that didn't. Was turn, it Dick Troutman the dealer made? That didn't turn out yeah. too well. On the next uh, news bit is uh, I can't believe I'm saying Restomod in the same digits as 997. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this one here, I looked at it for a while, and it's almost like they really want to mess with some iconic design. And the rear is... Uh, I got to give them uh, an A for effort and... and <laughs> misplaced effort. <laughs> and uh, the, the fact that they have passion to do it, but... I can't agree on how it looks. It's uh, they they just tried looks to take like some... a different bumper it's, and it almost looks like a toy. The, the rear is what uh, the rear the, the yeah. rear is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know, mixing old school with new school isn't necessarily necessary. <laughs> uh, anyways. But hey, I'm sure there's a market, there's a niche for there's it. People that and, are bored and, with the 997. And if they're available, I'm sure they they will sell it. Um, and what's the last one with the KBB, I didn't see that one. The KBB oh, that one. was the article that came out like a week or two weeks ago about that the 911 will be the last oh, yeah, 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 car yeah. to go EV. Yeah. But you know what? Much like the Boxster and um, the Cayenne, like there's regulations for them to have a certain percentage of cars that have to be EV and EPA standards and stuff like that. That when Macans, 718s, Cayennes, and this, you know, this K1 thing they're talking about, which is the seven passenger uh, EV Porsche, like that offsets their numbers so that if they decide to continue to make uh, internal combustion engine versions of 911s, they can do so because... Have you gotten any orders yet for this seven-passenger uh, I have K1? no idea what you're talking about. You know, the, uh, I can either the, confirm. Uh, actually, no, I don't. 
It's all. I just it's can't a, see anybody actually, running this saying that's what I wanted. Well, the seven passenger well, Porsche. People, I, I would people love to have, have a been, People have been asking for a long time for more yeah. seats. They need um, the third row seat. I yeah. remember telling Detlef on Platten when he he was there with the uh, 04 Cayenne. Remember? Yeah. And he said, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I need three rows." Well, you said not for your family. I said, "I have three kids." And he said, "You can put three kids in the back seat." I'm like, but "That's World War Three. You need a third row seat if you're going to have peace." Well, I think, and. Yeah, you can stay neutral on this one, but I think the K1 is probably a shared platform of a seven-passenger vehicle that probably. they will that they will make available with Porsche engineering and badging, and you can finally have. Well, you don't need it now. Well, maybe you do with the grandchildren, uh, but you can have that third row now. But I, I honestly know nothing about it. Oh, you don't? Yeah, no, okay. Nothing, oh, okay. nothing is the the same the same guesses and, that everybody else has is what gets to us. Here's a question I have for you, and I know we're kind of at the top of the hour here, but. So when things like the ST or this K1 or Mission um, X or Mission X, like when people get wind of something like this happens, but you haven't even heard about it from the dealer side, but someone is willing to write you a check for a deposit or place in line, how do you handle that? Oh boy. <laughs> um, so whatever you're comfortable with sharing. So so when it comes to cars like an ST. Um, in 2013, because of the 918 circle, circle, yeah. they Porsche basically gave the original procurers of those cars in the United States first right of refusal right. for every special car coming out forward. Right. So unfortunately, I was very close to selling one. I didn't sell a 918. So the majority of the super, super rare stuff that has come out, uh, we never got yeah. a 911R. We sold a pre-owned one, but we never got a new one. Those sorts of things. So, so the the majority of these cars get scooped up by those depositors because oh, it makes sure. all the sense in the world. Of course. Right. Um, beyond that, uh, I mean, will we get an ST? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, we've got um, we've got clients that have bought a considerable amount of cars from us who have expressed interest in them. I don't really take deposits on cars like that. We're happy to add them to an interest list, and when the time comes that mm -hmm. we, if we do in fact. Uh, receive the luxury of getting one of those vehicles because it is really something great to be able to take a picture of something like that in front of your dealership. Yeah. But in all reality, will we get one? I don't know. Yeah. So I assume the, the struggle with Mission X, whatever they end up calling that car, is, uh, well, the people who have the money to buy it, well, they wait for a 918 Circle type of deal. But the, the 918 they're, Circle they're not, didn't come out right away. It did not. And they're not going to have any issues selling that car if yeah. or when that car does yeah. go into production because that's just like any other super hyper car but now. But the 918, they, didn't, they weren't selling that gangbuster. So they had competition also. That was also a really weird time. Right, right. I, yeah, that was I, I right can't... at the tail end of all of the all of the bad economy from 2008, 9, 10, and 11. Yeah. And there was all kinds of stuff occurring at that time. And they also, I don't need to get into that, yeah. but it, it was, it was a tremendous opportunity for those people that did, were able yeah. to buy that car originally and get invited to that group. Yeah. And I, I would bet a, a large amount that, you know, it was successful for what they needed to do back then in that time to, to finish off the, the sales of the 918, have a, you know, a cadre of people that will, you know, be first right refusal for all the, you know, amazing makes. And that probably, that part of purchasing the 918 was probably the best deal was being it on was, that, on that list. You could have but, paid for the 918. Yeah. 
but you know, I think with the way the current market stands and demand, like they don't need to do another circle like that. And in fact, they probably kind of shoot, would shoot themselves in the foot if they did. I, yeah, I don't think that's going to come back again. Yeah. I think that. So maybe there's hope. I would say that maybe this year or next year is probably towards the end because I think it was what ten years. But I don't think those customers are going to disappear. Yeah, we're we're going to hold. Yeah, but. But we're probably, uh, they're not going to go away, but, but I think Porsche isn't, they don't, they don't have a contractual agreement that they have to offer it to them. So when first. people say, how do we get an allocation? They'll ask me and I'll say, listen, from what I've spoken to dealers, you have to create a relationship. Uh, they don't want to sell out of, out of a state. I'm mm-hmm. not speaking for Casey or anybody. Yeah. Just what I've talked to dealers. They want to, they want to basically get your car back and sell it again themselves. They don't want to, you know, sell you if you're somewhere in Alabama. And the car will disappear and they'll never see it again. They want, they rather have a created relationship. I said that's usually might mean a used car. Sure. They're, they're looking at, they're looking at the long term. They're not looking for the short term sale because they have plenty of options to sell short term. They're looking for the long term relationship. So here's a, here's a, for instance, um, 2010, we received one allocation for a GT3 RS4 liter. I couldn't find anybody that wanted the car. None of my local clients wanted the car. So I ended up selling it to a guy. It's funny you said Alabama, Louisiana, something like that. Mm-hmm. Car went down there. I never saw it again. Yeah. Look at getting a GT3 RS now. It's like divide by zero. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's really the difference in market between when 918 came out and now. Yeah. That's when I think cars were also suffering depreciation, which is like unheard of now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, cars were. Different times. It was exactly. That's why I tell people to carry GT. Was not a sales success initially. Oh, we had yeah. six of them on the showroom yeah, floor. They had to, uh, yep. just like the 959. I mean, yep. they had to, it, it was a, not immediate. Uh, in fact, the next uh, panel, maybe this panel has something about the supercars that I wrote telling how, uh, uh, you know, they weren't immediate success, how they had to, uh, yeah. to sell them because they had competition. And, you know, they could choose between the um, McLaren F1 when the 918 was out. And uh, Ferrari, the, the P1, and, yeah, or the P1 should be, uh, and then the uh, I guess Ferrari would have been La Ferrari, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enzo I, was when Courage GT, and then somebody at Porsche said there's only so many people in the world who have the money to drop two million on a car, yeah, 1.5 million, whatever. Yeah, now, the price now would be. everybody that owns one of those cars owns all three of them, sure. no, yeah, yeah, you got to, and, and, it's, and it's funny, people talk about, oh, well, I remember in 2009, you could get a you know, a low mileage career GT for three hundred grand, but three hundred grand in two thousand nine. I was old. I remember I mean, we had our. It's still a significant amount of money. We had our first. We we do a for a whole bunch of years. We always did these events for the twenty four hours of Daytona, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we borrowed one that my buddy Jay and I drove in the snow from Annapolis to the dealership, which was pretty harrowing. <laughs> it was shooting off rooster tails. Oh like, my god! It was going down the Mulsanne straight yeah. at Le Mans in the rain. But the gentleman that owned that car wanted to sell it. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the number was like, it had like 980 miles on it-ish, right around there. And he wanted around $300,000 for it. If, and now, if now, we only had a crystal ball. Yeah. I mean, you buy that not, you buy that 73 <laughs> RS I was talking about yeah. too. But you know yeah. that now that's a two, two plus million dollar I know, car. I know. But the, the thing that drives us up is that manufacturers don't make cars like that anymore. The only guy that makes a car close to something like a Courage GT is Gordon Murray. Mm. And, you know, those cars all sold out immediately. I was going to say, that's another getting line. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of getting in line, uh, if you haven't already gotten your uh, tickets for 
for uh, Rensport, make sure you do so because you definitely don't want to miss out all the wonderful cars that we typically talk about. Uh, not only the production vehicles, but the race cars and the supercars and the 918s and all that. And more than likely, you'll get to see the Mission X and the latest offerings from Porsche at Rensport Reunion 7. Um, we just got a glimpse. I don't know if Manny shared it with uh, Robert, but uh, we have seen the volunteer shirts for Rensport and they look amazing. Yep. And you can only get one if if you volunteer to um, be with us and help out at Rensport. It's a hell of, heck of a deal. You get uh, a, a uh, event, the official event poster in a tube. In the tube. <laughs> Which the I tube's cool. helpful. Exactly, yeah. because you won't uh, get a crush carrying it around and the shirt. And I think the shifts are between three and four hours. And you'll have a lot of fun. And, and you are. You're going to be with other PCAers. And if you're parking cars, you're basically hanging out in a cars and coffee type parking lot. Talking with other Porsche owners uh, for four hours doesn't even seem like work. And if you work in the Porsche Platz area, then you're helping members find. You'll, you'll uh, be volunteering. The tent your, and whatnot. your time slot will be over, and you'll still be standing there yes, exactly. <laughs> having yeah. fun. Uh, for those of you East Coasters that aren't making the trek to Rensport, uh, you know it's not it's not exactly Rensport, but we're gonna. <laughs> that is a stretch. <laughs> But I but we don't it, have Brad Pitt, but we have Manny Alder. <laughs> uh, but it it is too almost sold out, uh, and that is the PCA open house on uh, September uh, September 9th, I believe, is our open house. Yeah, yeah. I think by the time we this comes out, it may be sold out. It's going to be uh, packed. And, and, it's always packed. I look packed. forward to coming. Yeah, yeah and maybe hopefully, can bring the, hopefully the project can, car. Ex- uh, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Is maybe you can bring the project car um, parade laps uh, for Rensport Reunion Seven. A few, I think, Thursday and Sunday are still available. So, yes, yeah, yep. still. So with that, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. As I said, there's still other topics we would love to bring you back and uh, sort of again demystify. We, we, we know where he lives. And <laughs> thank you for all of your support. Every time you know something new has come out or something interesting has come on your lot, you are the first to just give me a buzz or text and say, Vu, Damon, Manny, come down here and check this out. So thank you for all those opportunities, and we look forward to many more opportunities in the future. Manny, with that, anything else before we wrap it up? Nope. Nope. All right. So thank you for listening. If you aren't currently a PCA member and own a Porsche, grab that VIN and head over to PCA.org and we'll set you up with the membership. If you're looking for your first Porsche, maybe call Casey (laughs) or join the PCA test drive program where we can give you the ins and outs of everything Porsche. Uh, We've been uh, working with Bogdan here because I think he's going in between uh, selling his car and maybe acquiring something new and hopefully he finds a, a P car in his future. Uh, if you want to uh, follow what's going on on our Instagram, the um, podcast Instagram page, just go over to Porsche Club Insider, all one word. We really appreciate all of your support for those that are watching uh, on YouTube. Make sure you click like, comment, subscribe, help us get to that 100,000 subscriber mark. That would mean a lot to us. Until next time, stay safe and we'll catch you down the road.